the servant of God, the perfect servant of God. And uh, when you get about to chapter 8, he's already headed to the cross. But I think it starts some in chapter 3, so I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But So what we want to see as you, as you go through Mark or any other gospel is that it is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the good news. It's the, it's, it's the good news of Christ coming. But it's all predicated on what you learned in the Old Testament, that the Lord chose the Jewish nation. He chose them to be a light to all the nations. And he wanted to reveal Christ to all the nations. But, he, but, but the Lord has a, a plan that goes throughout history. And the plan is, is that there wasn't Twitter or all those things. And if there had been, us old people wouldn't have been on it anyway, or some of us. And so... We needed a, God needed a vehicle to bring it to the nations, and he chose Abraham, and he didn't choose him because he was wise or rich, or he didn't choose him, and, and the Bible says this in Deuteronomy, he says to him, I didn't choose you because of who you are, or, or because of your power and authority or influence, because you had none. I chose you, and I made of you a nation. And, he, and so we know, because of the curse of sin, that Israel didn't fulfill their purpose. And so when Christ comes, the world is not prepared and, uh, because Israel didn't fulfill their purpose. They were sinners like we are, and uh, corporately, not every individual Jew, I want you to understand that, not every individual, probably most Jews were Orthodox. Most Jews, now, Orthodox today means something that it, different than it meant back then, but, but, but most Jews then were believers looking for the Messiah. They, they went to the temple and offered their offerings because they loved God. They wanted the peace of God in their lives. They, they wanted the forgiveness of God. So most of the population probably were what we would say today in the church saved, but the leadership wasn't. The leadership, when, so sometimes when we refer to the Jews, we're talking about the leadership. So the leadership, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodian party, they were in it for themselves. They, uh, the temple sacrifices was a great business. It's probably one of the most profitable businesses ever in that whole part of the country, and which is the center of the world, basically. And so uh, it, was a, it was a business, and they weren't particularly interested in uh, the, the, the spiritual part of it, and that they didn't want it to be disturbed. They didn't want the Romans to come and take away their place. That's a quote uh, when they were thinking about what are we going to do with Jesus because if we don't control him or do something with him, the Romans are going to come and take away our place. Now, the setting is Jesus is out in the countryside and going from up in Galilee down into the Jerusalem area, and he is drawing crowds. We saw last week in chapter 3 when it enumerated the areas of Israel, and people are coming from all over Israel and following Jesus. Now, probably there are thousands and thousands, and everywhere he's going. You remember, it gives us some hint. There's a press upon him, and he asked the disciples to get a boat so he could speak, stay in the boat and speak to them on the shore because they were pressing him. And, and remember when he was in the house, they pressed around the house so much that when they brought the invalid man, he, they couldn't get in the door. They couldn't get close to him. They went up on top and broke down the roof. So all this is happening. His, his, we saw last week that his family and his friends were afraid for him. I, I, I don't, I'm not critical of him. I think they were concerned about he, he, he doesn't know what he's doing. He, he, doesn't, he no, doesn't know the trouble he's in. He doesn't know that before long, Herod is going to crush him. Before long, the Romans are going to crush him if they think he is inciting a rebellion. And in that day and time, if you gathered a crowd of thousands of people, the Romans would know about it. Herod would know about it. And Herod did know about it. And we know that. And so here on one side, you have the, the Pharisees who are jealous of him and the Herodian party who are jealous of him. And then you have his own family and his friends from his community, and they're worried for him that he's going to cause an uprising. They, they knew he was doing things that were spectacular and, and maybe even miraculous, but they didn't understand why. They, did, they just thought 
boy, is he going to get it one of the days, and when they come to get him, they're going to get all of us. In that day and time, you just need to understand, it's like it, it's like it is in parts of our world today. They just come in and murder everybody. And, and so, you know, they didn't brook rebellion at all. And so this is the situation. This is what's happening. When we came to chapter 3, you remember we, we read this, that they sought to trap him because they wanted to destroy him. Okay, so when we come to chapter 4, and Jesus is going to speak to them in parables. So he's going to speak to them in parables. And read with me in, in chapter 4 and read the first few verses, and then let me continue my introduction. In verse, chapter 4, verse 1, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. And then he's going to give a few parables here. So here, here's the situation. He's, he's in this boat. The water amplifies his voice. The people, the great multitude are on the shore. And so they're listening to him teach. We have seen so far his works and his healing and all the, the works that he's done. And, and now we're going to hear some of his teaching in, in chapter 4. But it's very interesting. He gives this parable, and, and we'll get to it in a minute. He gives this parable about the sower who goes out and sows seed. And it'd be something they're very familiar with. Probably many of them had done themselves or their family had done that. And, and, and a lot of times the whole family would be involved in sowing the seed after the field was prepared. So they understood what he was talking about when he was giving this parable about the birds would come and the thorns would come up. And so, he, and, and so they're listening to him. And they're probably thinking, okay, what's, what, we, we, we do that. We know that. What's it mean? His disciples wanted to know what does that mean. So I want you to go to verse 9. And we read this. And Jesus said to them, so his disciples are listening, the multitude is listening. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. When you go into the book of Revelation and when Jesus is speaking to the churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3, when he's speaking to the seven churches, which is seven real churches at that time, and it's representative of seven stages of the church age, and he's speaking to us, to our church, to me, to you, and he says, let him hear, let him hear, let him hear. He keeps saying this. So Jesus is saying, if you have ears, pay attention. That's what it means. Pay attention. If you have ears, think about this. If you have ears, meditate on this. Get what I'm saying. That, that's what he's saying to them. I want you to get what I'm saying. So the disciples say to him, and verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. They said, okay, we want to know what it is you're saying. We want to know what it is you're teaching. So they ask him about the parable, and then he says this in verse 11. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. And when you just, when you just read that, if you're just reading through the scripture, you read that, and then he quotes from Isaiah in verse 12, so that, quote, seeing they may not see and not perceive, seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Now, it seems like that that is a contradiction, doesn't it? I mean, when Jesus is saying, I'm speaking to parable, and I'm saying to you, listen up. I want you to get this message. I want you to get this message. And then the disciples say, why are you speaking in parables? And he said, because I don't want the people to understand. That's kind of what he's saying when you just, when you just read that. So what is it about? What is this quote in Isaiah? So what is Isaiah talking about when he says these words? And, and, and here it was, God speaks through Isaiah to the nation of Israel. So we're going back six, seven hundred years, and God's speaking to Isaiah, and he's saying to them, you're so rebellious, I'm going to bring you into judgment. I'm just paraphrasing what I say. I'm going to bring you into judgment, and I, I, I keep telling you, but you're not hearing because you don't want to hear. I, I, I'm telling you, but you don't, you don't want to hear. And then you have the principle that you don't cast your pearls before swine. You understand that? Is that 
If, if someone rejects you when he, took, when he sent the disciples out to teach in Israel, and he said, if someone will not receive you, you shake the dust off your feet and you just move on. And, and Jesus was looking at this multitude. The Pharisees were there. The scribes were there. Some Herodian party were there. And then there's a multitude of just people, people like us, just people. And, and Jesus, remember, they wanted to destroy him. We just read that in chapter 3. They wanted to destroy him. And Jesus is saying to them, if you're interested, this is the mystery of the kingdom of God, if you're interested. If you're not interested, you're facing judgment. When, when Jesus gives these parables, now he's speaking for a decision. He's speaking to people saying, what is it you want from me? You want to just be fed, you want your relatives to be healed, and, and those things are okay, and he did those things. But he's saying, or do you want to know me? Do you want to know God? Do you, do you want a relationship, and do you want to be saved? Do you, you want to do something about your sin? Do, do you, are you serious about who I am and what I'm doing? And, and, and that's a question for all of us. I want the blessing of God, but do I want to worship? See, that's the question. And, and sometimes I say with my mouth, I want to worship, but my behavior is that I just want the blessing of God. Sometimes my prayer is nothing but, God, would you fix this? Would you fix this? Would you fix them? Would you fix? And, and that's okay to pray that after you've worshiped. But you can't turn it around. You can't, you can't get the other, you know, God's not interested in just being your fixer. He wants you to worship. So, so, in this setting, Jesus is saying, now's the time of judgment. You remember you go over in chapter, Acts chapter 17, and Paul said this. Paul said that God has commanded all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he's going to judge the world by this man in righteousness, by this man whom he's raised from the dead. Okay, so this time has come. Jesus is preaching, and he's saying, the kingdom of God is here. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. And basically, when he says that this is the mystery of the kingdom, a mystery is not something that cannot be known in the Bible, but it's something that has not been known and is going to be revealed by God. When you go into Corinthians and the Apostle Paul says, the only way you and I are going to understand the Word of God is by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate the Word of God to us. So when he gives these parables... The people who wanted to hear would get it. The people who wanted to hear would say, mm, okay, I, I understand that. Okay, I, I understand that there is a meaning in this, and the meaning is i got to be serious. i got to listen. i, I got to pay attention to Jesus and, 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 and obey him and follow him and trust in him, and i got to be committed. I don't want to just get what he has to offer physically and go on home. And so there were many people who followed him and believed in him, but the, the, the majority, and especially the leadership of Israel, did not. When you get to, if you're reading this and you want to reference the other gospel, this is chapter 13 in the book of Matthew. And you, when you get to the book of Matthew, it starts with these words. Let me see if I can find it in my note. Okay, the same passage in the book of Matthew's gospel says this. It prefaces this statement that these that he just made about the people can't hear. And he said, I, <clears throat> I, <clears throat> Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. We had a professor of Bible who used to come here. It was at Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College. And he would come here occasionally and when he was alive. And, and he said one time when he was here, he said, when he goes out of the house in Matthew 13, he said that is the formal rejection of Israel, the house of Israel. The formal rejection comes against the leadership, not the people, but against the leadership. So he's saying that that's a dividing line. And here I think we have a dividing line. When Jesus decides to teach to the people in parables, so they only would understand if they wanted to. It is a judgment. It, there, there is a uh, it's a judicial, Edersheim says this is a judicial proclamation. You, you, if you don't want to listen, you're going to live with what you get. You're, you're going to reap with what you're now sowing. So when you look at the parables, it's not just that 
Jesus wasn't trying to fool anyone. He was just testing people's seriousness. And he tests our seriousness. He, he wants to know uh, whether we want to respond or not. Um, he, he goes on down, and let me, let me just say to this. When he challenges us to hear, when he says that, when, I want you to hear. If you have ears, I want you to hear. The responsibility now becomes ours. He's going to, he's going to teach, and we have the words that he taught, some of them, and, and now the responsibility is ours. Are we paying attention? Are, are we listening? Are, are, we, are we going to respond to him? So it requires a decision. Um, when we sing, do you listen to the words? Do you think about the words? When we sing corporately as a church, would you listen to it on the radio? Whatever, whatever. When, when you read the Bible, do you just do it to get your three chapters in? Or do you, are you, are you saying, God, speak to me. Speak to me. Speak to my soul. And help me to respond. I, you can't sit with God's word very long if you're paying attention without some measure of repentance. You have to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I, that's me. I'm, I did that. I'm, I feel that. I, I'm jealous of that. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm dealing with that. We started a book study with Robert last Sunday night on knowing God. And, and on knowing God. And in fact, I wrote it on the last page of my notes. I've, I've almost got it memorized, but when I'm, when I'm nervous like this, I can't do it. But one of the things for our homework tonight, it says, when a man, and I'm going to say, and a woman, when a, when a man knows God, losses and crosses cease to matter to them, for what they have gained simply banishes those things from their mind. I'm not there yet. My losses and my crosses still bother me. I've been saved by the grace of God. I have an eternal home in heaven, and I get frustrated about how you treat me sometimes. Shame on me. I, I, you know, I still, sometimes I dream, and you probably do too, I dream about circumstances that happened years ago that made it an emotional impact. You know, emotion impacts your mind. You understand that? You, you agree with that? When, when you've gone through an emotional experience, it impacts your mind. You have, it impresses your mind. And years later, you can still, when you think about that and meditate on that, that emotion returns. Right? I mean, you ever just been thinking about, you know, mother-in-laws get a lot of problems. You know, they get a lot of blame. You ever been thinking about your mother-in-law or your father-in-law or your brother-in-law or somebody like that or your boss or your ex-boss? or your ex-spouse, or, you know, whoever, and, and you get to thinking about circumstances, and you get aggravated all over again. Your blood pressure goes up, you get nervous. You ever do that? Help me out here. I'm not, am I the only sinner in the room? <laughs> okay. So the losses and crosses, because of what Christ has done for us, should not, we, we shouldn't even think of those things anymore. And that's something, see, I listened, and, and, I'm, and I'm grieved about it. I've been praying about that ever since I read that. I think, Lord, please help me to live in the present. <laughs> help me live in the present, not in the past. I have so many blessings. Why can't I focus on that instead of focus on the things that have, have hurt me in years gone by? Dear Lord, you know, it's a good thing we don't dwell in this body when we go to heaven. We're going to get a new body, new mind, all, all that's going to be past. If not, it would be a long eternity. Okay, now we're going to get to the parable itself. And you're, you're familiar with the parable, the parable about the swords. We're not going to read the actual parable. We're going to read Jesus' explanation about the parable. But now remember, only those who are interested are paying attention. And he gives them the explanation because they want him to hear. They ask him. So they wanted to hear. And when you're reading the Bible, you ask God, God, help me understand this. Help me, help me, under, help me, help me get part of it. I'm never going to understand it all, but help me get part of it. Help me get something from, from this today. I think that's more important than how much you read. If you just read one verse and say, Lord, help me understand this verse. Help me understand what it means. Help me understand what, the, what you're sa saying to me. That that's more important than how much you read. So now he explains the parable. Verse 13, do you not understand this parable? Have then you understand all the parables? 
The sower sows the word. That's the key right there. The sower sows the word. So it, and now who's giving the word? It's Jesus giving the word to these multitudes that are following him around and been following him around now for the better part of a year. And the sower is sowing the word. And then he gives these four souls, and we're going to go through them very quickly this morning. There are those who don't pay any attention because they're blinded by Satan. That's verse 15. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. The wayside would be the path between the fields. And when they're sowing seed, they can't just keep it inside the plowed part. Some of it gets out on the path, and it's not ever going to germinate. It's never going to go in. The birds come and get it. Satan is alive and well. Satan is after you and me. Satan does not want us to understand. Satan doesn't want us to take the time. That's why he gave us televisions, you know, so we won't take the time to read the Word of God. Now, I have a television. In fact, we have, how many do we have? I, we, but, you know, I have a phone. I read the news on my phone, you know, so I have all those things. I, I have the golf channel. So I don't watch trash. I just watch the golf channel. It's becoming a little trashy now, but you know, it's just, I, I sat in last night watching the Meerkat family. I don't know if you watch the Meerkat family, you know. <laughs> and now you're feeling sorry for me. You think you're just about that far from the nut house. <clears throat> if that's all you've got to do, that's all you have, have to watch. So when he's saying this, he's saying there are some people who hear the word, it doesn't matter to them, they don't care, they're going away. That's why he's speaking in a parable. There's a lot of people like that. He's not going to cast his pearls before swine. So the Holy Spirit's not going to work in their life if they just don't care. You know, you remember when Jesus goes before Herod, and Herod wanted to see some miracle done of him, and Jesus never spoke to Herod. You know, you think in every situation we get in, we should testify for Christ. You know, every... We should give a word of witness to Christ. Jesus didn't. And he told the disciples, if you're, when you're going to these cities and they want to receive you, shake the dust off your feet and just keep going. Don't, you know, and so that's what happens for people who are just not interested. There are very few people in the United States of America who do not know about Jesus of Nazareth. Now, there's a lot of people, very young people, who don't know very much about him. They don't know they, they don't know that he claimed to be the Son of God. They don't know that in history he died, was buried, and resurrected. They don't know that. They've never been taught that, but they, they know the name. And 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 so this is what's happening. And then those that that are fans and not followers. One time Jim Connell taught us that message out of that book on the Wednesday night series. They're fans but not followers. And that's verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they, but they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution rises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Immediately they quit. Immediately they, they go away. There are thousands of people in our, on our church row who, who came, maybe were baptized, or they joined the church, and, and that took care of it for them. When I was unsaved, Don and I got her in conviction because we thought the Lord was going to come and we were going to go to hell. So we went and joined the Baptist church that next Sunday. And only went back. And then they'd come to visit us on Tuesday night and we'd hide in the back room until they went away. That was Donna's idea. <laughs> but see, we had solved the problem. We had joined the church. And they asked me to be baptized because I came from a church Christ background. So I got baptized. We had solved the problem. We had t- checked that off the box. But we didn't want to go to church. We didn't, want to, we didn't want to mess with it. You know why? Because they want something from you when you go. They want you to give your money. They want you to teach. They want you to be involved. You know, they, they want something from you. And, and we didn't want to give it. You know, so that's where we were right there. We were interested in the Lord helping us. We didn't want to help the Lord any. We didn't want to worship. And then the third group, the third group are those who are of two minds. And you find that in verse 18, 19. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things enter in, choke the word, 
and it becomes unfruitful. It's really interesting that the descriptions he gives, I don't have time to talk about the, the cares of the world, the cares of the world. What do you spend your time thinking about? You spend your time thinking about politics. You spend your time thinking about, you know, your business. You spend, and, you, and you should. You should think about that. You should think about your business. You, you spend time thinking about your leisure. You spend time thinking about your desire for other things. You spend time thinking about uh, all the things that are going on in our world, and it chokes the word. It chokes our life out of us. John Piper says, whatever you invest your life in is what you become. And he said, if, if, if you glory in sports, that's what you become. If, if you glory in uh, anything in this world, that's what you become. He said, if you glory in Christ, that's what you become. You don't become Christ, but you become Christ-like. And, and see, that's a principle I think is true for all of us, is that, is that we, we just, whatever we invest our thought life in, and we invest our attention in, and that then becomes the paramount thing in our lives. And I, I hope you recognize that in yourself and, and, and that you respond to that. And then there's the fourth group, verse 20. And these are those who are in our vernacular that get saved and walk with the Lord. Verse 20, these are the ones sown on good ground who hear the word, accept it. Some bear fruit, some 34, 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. You know, not every Christian has to do the same thing. Not every Christian has to respond the same way. But we're people who, when we respond to the Lord, we bear fruit. And what is fruit? Fruit is our response to the Lord. Our pastor said just a couple weeks ago, which is Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meaning all that comes part of our life. Fruit is when we talk to people about Christ, when we pray for people to be saved, when we give of ourselves to people when we minister to people. And, and, you know, and ministry is not, ministry is not you preach somebody a sermon. Ministry is that you look them in the eye and say, I care about you. I, I'm interested in you. I, I hurt for you when you hurt. I, I, I'm burdened for you. See, that's what ministry is. is that's ministry. You get, Jesus said, give a cup of cold water to somebody in his name that, that you'll receive a reward for that. See, the ministry is that we just live in conjunction with each other, and, and I care more about you than I care about myself. Now, it's really hard to do because I have a fallen nature. So I have to do it for Christ's sake, not for your sake. I, I can't do it because you're worthy. I do it because Christ is worthy. You know, if you ever pastor a church and you have all these people, and some of them send you letters. That was in the old days. And then when email came along, they'd send you emails. And, and, you, and, you, and it, it's a hard time. It's hard being perfect. You understand that? It's hard being perfect. And I sure didn't measure up. And so people gave me, not, not a lot. I don't wanna, I'm not complaining. I, I, I need to let that loss go, don't I? That's a, <laughs> but, but I'm just saying, but you, you have to make up your mind. I want to I love people whether they're lovely or not. I'm going to love people whether we're different personality types. I don't, I don't know about you. I, I like people who are opposite my own. If they're like me, I don't like them. You know why? Because they're, they're like me. And, and so I, it's just odd. We're weird, aren't we? But the Lord wanted us to dwell together and, and to, to worship together and to be a family. And that's fruit. He wanted us to bring forth. So Jesus is saying, you hear my word. You put it in your life. You're going to bring forth fruit. You're, you're going to follow me. You're going to know that. Okay. So let's move then to his challenge in verse 21. Also, he said to them, is a lamp bought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? You know, we understand that. We understand that. But, but what he's speaking to, see, what is, what is this parable? What does this mean? It, it means that when we come to him and believe in him, we're to live that out. We're, we're to let his light shine through us. Just like the little song says, we, we're to be the light of the world. Jesus came and says to be a light unto the Gentiles. We're to do that. We are his work and, and words and we're, we're his body and we're to be a light. And light dispels darkness. And without light, there's darkness. And without the knowledge of Christ, people perish. 
And without theology, they perish. Without doctrine, they perish. And so we're to be that light. We're to bring that light to the world. This is what Jesus says to us. Verse 22, there's nothing hidden, there's nothing hidden which shall not be made revealed, nor has anything been kept secret that shall not come to light. So Jesus saying, you're going to give account for your life. You can't hide from God. You can't, you're, you're going to give an account for your life. Pay attention because you're going to, there's going to be a test. But the test is now. The test is not when we die. The test is now. We're in the test. Today's the test. Your, your thoughts are the test. Your reaction is the test. Your, your life is the test. And you're going to give an account for it one day. So pay attention is what he's saying. And he does it again. Look at, look at verse 23. If anyone, has to, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus repeats this again. Verse 24. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear with the same measure you use. If we have measured you, at you and to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. I, I got a couple of illustrations to help you, you maybe under, understand that. When he speaks this, uh, C.S. Spurgeon said this. Spurgeon said, the hearer of the gospel will get measure for measure, and the measure shall be his own measure. All right, you think about a measuring cup, whatever site you're using. Remember in the Old Testament, and I don't have this in my note, but in the Old Testament, the Lord told a, a, a lady who was, broke and we're going to starve her and her son and and elijah said go to your neighbors and ask for vessels and what little oil you have in your vessel and 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 your oil will never run out so she goes to her neighbors and she gets vessels and as long as she had a vessel she poured out of hers into all those vessels and she had all that oil and went and sold it but but if she only went to the neighbor and got one that's all she would have had but she got all that she could. And the, the, the idea of the story is she got all that she could. And as long as she had an empty vessel, she poured that oil and the oil never ran out. And God supplied her need because she went and sold it and lived off of that. And so here, here's the idea. This is the measure. She trusted God. She went and she didn't just get one. She got as many as she could because she believed God. She believed I, I, Elijah who was speaking for God. You remember Jesus comes at John 4 to the woman at the well. And, and, and she had a reputation and, and, you know, we don't know a lot about her, but that's the idea anyway. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And, and she said, what do I have to do with you a Jew? The Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. She's a Samaritan. So she's a little, she's a little offensive to him. What, I, you know, what do I have to do with you as a Jew? Why, why would you as a Jew have anything to do with me? So anyway, to make it quick, in their conversation that they had, you're familiar with the conversation, but in their conversation, she called him a Jew, but he treated her respectfully, and then she called him sir, and she treated him, he treated her respectfully, and then she called him a prophet, and he treated her respectfully, and then she called him the Messiah. She responded, and he gave her more, and she wanted more, and she kept responding, and he kept giving her more. That's the, that's the measure, whatever measure you use is what you're going to get. If you go to the Lord with your Bible and your time by yourself, and, and, and if you're a couple, you do it together, but if, whatever, however you do it, but if you do it by yourself, and I would recommend, even if you do it a couple, do it by yourself. If you're in a Bible study, still do it by yourself. And, and read one verse and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Convict me. Change me. Make me grow. Lord, help me to see you. Help, help me to care. Help me not just to live my few short lives, lives on this and it not matter. Let me live my time in relationship to you. Let me live close to you. And, and, and the Lord will do that. That's the prayers that he answers. He will do that. You know, and I... I don't want to be flippant, but, you know, he, he might give you COVID so that you lay on your back and think about nothing else but him. You know, he might, he might do that. He might, the, the Lord has always ways of working. You understand that? And I'm, I'm not hoping you get COVID. I'm, I hope you don't misunderstand me. But, but what I'm saying is that 
when you, when you pray that prayer, be serious because the Lord will want you to pay attention. He wants to bless you. He wants to work in your life. He wants to give you comfort and grace and peace in your heart. He, he wants to give you a joy in the midst of your trial. He wants to do that for you. So don't, don't think that he doesn't. But you have to care. You have to want that from him or it's not going to happen. And so... Whatever measure we give to the Lord, he's going to give back to us. If we desire to know him, he will reveal himself to us more and more. That's what Jesus is saying here. And then he gives two kingdom parables. Um, and he's, verse 26 is the first one. Okay, let me find it. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night, and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But, but when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. All right, so this is Jesus' parable. This is Jesus' parable, and if you go to Matthew chapter 13, and you have a reference Bible, and it would say, these are parables about the kingdom. Now, what's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of Christ is the time, the, the time he came and the church age. So the church age until he comes again. So this, this is time he's talking about. And, and he's saying to these people that during this time, the word's going to be sown. And, 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 and during this time, there's going to be, God's going to grow a crop. You sow the seed, you can't make it grow. Remember when you were in elementary school and you brought those little cups in and you put a couple of seeds in there and, you know, and every day you come back to class, you watch to see if it ever sprouted. You ever do that? Or you, maybe you grow tomato plants or beans or whatever it is you grow. And, you know, you, you want to see them sprout or you had your lawn sprayed and you want it to come up or whatever. And, you know, and you just, but you can't do it. You can't, we can't do that. You can cultivate it. You can do all that you can do, but you cannot make life come out of that dead seed. God does that. That's what God's saying. That, that's what Christ is saying here. He's saying, this is what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like, is that overnight, while you're asleep, and when you're asleep, you're just like a baby. You have no control of anything. And, and you know, the Lord, the Lord, I think, gave us sleep to humble us. You know, you can stay awake as long as you want to, but at some point in time, you're going to go to sleep. At some point in time, you've got to release your hand and you're not in control of anything. You ever thought about that? The Lord's teaching us to trust Him. I, you know, when I'm asleep, the world goes on. And you know what it teaches me? The world doesn't need me. You know, I'm, not, I'm not that important. Uh, my family keeps functioning. You know, I've always said, you know, if I, when I die, somebody else will have my car keys within a day. You know, and... and uh, <laughs> <clears throat> have, my, have my golf clubs within a couple of weeks, you know, so it's just, you know, the world goes on. And, and, and if you realize that, you don't take it so seriously. Now, that's not in there. Where did I get that? Where, where are we here? Here, it, it's just the Lord is doing this. We can't convert anyone, but the Lord's doing it. He's growing his church. He's growing his church. When I first got saved, I had the idea that if, if we would work hard enough, if, if, if the people of God would be serious and work on it, you know, I was so legalistic. I, I just thought, you know, if everybody would be like me, we would change the whole world. We would change the whole, and the whole world would get converted. I, I, thought, that was going, I thought that was possible. But, you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that man's going to wax w- more wicked and wicked and more perilous times until Christ comes again. What we're to do is sow seed. And, and God glorifies himself by saving people out of a wicked world. And, and he'll glorify himself one day when he comes and change the world in the way he wants it to be in the kingdom and then in eternity. But in the meantime, we're just to be faithful. And we're not going to conquer the world. We're, we're not going to make our government religious. We're, we're, not going to, we're not going to subdue sin. And we should do as much as we could. We should do it by the vote. And we should do it by our care and our prayers. But we're not going to change the nature of mankind by law. Because you can't law. Law didn't work. This is what that parable is teaching us. The parable is teaching us this is God's work. We sow the seed. God does the work. And, and he works in, in our lives like he did in ours. 
He changed us. He made us want to love Him. He made us want to go to church. He made us want to not hide from the people of the church. He made us want to give. He made us want to serve. He made us want to teach. He made us want to be involved in the life of the church. And then we get the miraculous scope of God's work in verse 30. I just love this. You know, every one of these could be a, a, a lesson unto itself. Verse 30, then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we picture it? Like a mustard seed, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs, herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So Jesus is saying, how am I going to picture for you the kingdom of God? And he said, it's like this little mustard seed and it's going to become magnificent in time. He just told us, and we don't do that. God's doing that. We can't control that. God, God's doing it. Now, it's not going to take over the world, but, it, but it's going to uh, have large branches and the birds of the air rest under its shade. Here's what John Phillips wrote. John Phillips wrote, not just the people who have been saved, and I want you to think about this. It started with 12 disciples. There were 70 in the upper room. On the day of Pentecost, there were thousands saved. In the next couple of years, there were multitude upon multitudes, which means probably hundreds of thousands of people. And since then, there have been millions of people who've trusted in Christ. Millions and millions of people who trusted in Christ in the last 2,000 years. But listen to what John Phillips wrote. It's not just those people, not just us. But he said, everywhere the kingdom of God has gone, everywhere Christianity has gone, that's the kingdom of God, It has brought with it hospitals and schools, truth and morality and ethics, decency and compassion, and above all, salvation. Wherever the gospel has gone, it has abolished cannibalism, child sacrifice, the immolation of widows. That's when in India and Nepal and those areas, that when a man dies, his widow is burnt on the spire with him, you know, and, and, and burned alive with him because they don't want her anymore. She's not a producer and her family doesn't want her. She eats without producing. It's, it's a terrible thing. It, it, is, it is abolished polygamy, demonism, slavery, and a thousand other such ills. Now, this is still John Philip. It has built orphanages, orphanages, orphanages and asylums, cared for the sick, comforted the bereaved, helped the infirm. In many lands, even secular governments had taken color from its creeds. That's his word. Even the unsaved have found shelter beneath its branches and found comfort and a better lifestyle in its shade. And I think that's true. And now let me add to this. In our church, it has led to many being involved in missions and making missions a priority in their life. And, and, and especially, I think, manna, since we got involved in the manna program some 20-some-odd years ago, and, and, and manna establishes orphanages, and they support orphanages, and feed children, and teach them the Word of God, and it, it, it does so much. Now, how does that happen? Even people in our church are drilling water wells in South American countries. And how does that happen? That's the love of God. That's the love of God. That's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom means I don't live for myself. I live for Christ's sake. I do it for Christ's sake. I hope that's happening in your life. To some degree, I hope that's happening in your life. And you see that and it multiply in your life. What a wonderful thing. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God changes everything. I, I, I am a kingdom citizen. Now, I happen to live in Texas. But I'm a kingdom citizen. And the kingdom should mean more to me than the USA. It should mean more to me than Texas. It should mean more to me than Midland. It should mean more to me than anything. And it should to you as well. We are kingdom citizens. And now we have the the parable that the disciples were to help them learn. Down in verse 33. Uh, While many such parables, he spoke the word to them. They were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all the things to his disciples. He didn't speak to them anymore without a parable. Why? Because not everybody wanted to hear. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to be fed. They wanted uh, him to rule. 
They didn't want the Romans to rule anymore, but they didn't want to hear about him being the Christ. And then it's very interesting. We get the deal where he goes out in the boat and the weather comes. Uh, verse 35, On the same day when evening came, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. I read a whole sermon on as he was. As he was. We have to accept Jesus as he is. I think simply what this means, he was already in the boat, he was speaking to the people on the shore, and he said to the disciples, let's go to the other side. He was saying to them, I don't want to go back to the shore. They're going to press upon me all night. I I can't do that. This is Jesus' humanity. He was a man. He he was God, but he was a man. He he got tired like we do. He, He was hungry like we are. Now, he's probably more disciplined than we are. And, but but he, he, he needed to be refreshed. And he's saying to them, as we were, we're not going to go back and get our stuff. We're not going to get, back and get the, you know, let's just go to the other shore. And the, the geographers say this about five miles across to, to the other shore. As he was, Jesus was as he was. He was just like us. He, he, he lived in a body that hurt and got tired, at, 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 but he did it without sin, which means probably when he got tired, he didn't complain. It probably means something like that. It means he didn't complain about the food. He didn't complain about the lodging. He didn't complain about those things. But, he, but as he was, really, really interesting. And the other little boats were also with him. So there are other little boats. Verse 37, a great windstorm rose. The waves beat in the boat, so it was ready to fill. You're familiar with this. And Jesus was asleep on a pillow in the stern. So Jesus was asleep. He was tired and he went to sleep. He let them row. They're fishermen. They know the lake. He let them row. And then the, and then the winds come up. Uh, verse 37. And it was filling up the boat. The waves filling up the boat. And he was asleep. And they come to him and said, Teacher, do you not care, verse 38, that we are perishing? Now here are these fishermen. I mean, they knew the sea. And, 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 they're, and now they're afraid they're going to capsize and perish. And, and then verse 39, he arose, he rebuked the wind, said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, I want you to think about this. They'd been following him, and they had seen him. I don't know if at this point in time he had fed people, but they had seen him give sight to the blind. They had seen him heal multitudes of people. Everyone who came, they had seen him do that. And so when he speaks to, this is a different realm. When he speaks to the creation and it becomes still, when he speaks to the storm and it becomes still, what we read about this, he said to them, how is it you have no faith? Why were you so fearful? And, and again, there are sermons on just that about, you know, they should, when Jesus said, let's go to the other side, they should have known, well, we're going to the other side. We're not going to die in the storm. But, but had they not awakened him and he had not stilled the storm, maybe some of those other people would have. I, I don't know. You know, there's all kinds of speculations. But, but Jesus sounds a little frustrated with them. How come you had no faith? How come you had no faith in that you could do what I ask you to and it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out? And I don't, I don't know about that. I think I would have been afraid. I think you would have been afraid. I think we would have been in danger of perishing. But look at verse 41. Then we'll close with that. But they feared exceedingly. And said to one another, the word feared is in awe. They're astounded. They had seen those miracles, those other miracles, but now he, he's, he's over the, the elements, and they're astounded. They've been, they've been with him for a long time at this point. They had seen, they had heard him, they had seen what, he's, what he had done, but, but now they see, wow, wow, this is really powerful. Wow, this is really something. I mean, he is over the elements. And I think what they were grasping, he really is God. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a miracle worker. He doesn't just have the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. But only God can do this. Only God can have control of the elements. So he really is God. That's what awed them. They were so awed about what he had done, that even the wind and the sea would obey him. Let me read you... Um, what Edersheim said. Edersheim said, and now think hard with me, Jesus' teaching nor his working can be fully understood 
except so far as his personality is understood, or his person, we would say. This was written years ago. And here's what needs to be understood about his person, that he is God, very God. He is God. He is God. And, and, and in his humanity, he's God. In his humility, he's God. In his dress of a carpenter and a common person in Israel, he's God. When he speaks, he's God. It's God's word. When, 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 he, when he does anything, he is God. See, if we could grasp that, I say to you all the time, my problem is I don't have a big enough God. My problem is I, I, I can't grasp the immensity of the power and the majesty of God. I keep wanting to deal with him. I keep wanting to bargain with him. I keep wanting to, you know, say, if, if I do this, would you do this? You know, I keep wanting to, instead of worship, instead of just saying, Lord, I belong to you. Do with me as you please. Lord, I, let, my, let my losses and my crosses. You're going to hear that a lot. Lord, let my losses and my crosses. Let, let that not even bother me. I want to live like that. I want to know that you're God in my life. You're all that I need. I'm not there. I don't think I'm going to live long enough to get there. But I want to get closer don't you? I want to get closer. I want to be awed that we have such a tremendous God. I, you know, I want to make application to everything. I want to, that's what preachers do. I want, to, I want you to grasp. You know, we live in, a, we live in tumultuous times. This is, I, I think it's interesting times. I, I'm, not, I'm not glad about the times. I'm not, I don't mean that. I, I'm, not, I'm not glad about whether it's Republican or or Democrat, and somebody's in trouble, or there's some trouble, we're to pray for them, we're to, I talked about that last week, we're to care. I, I, want Joe, I want Joe Biden to succeed for the benefit of the people who are depending upon him. That's what we're supposed to do. That, that's what God asked us to do. But, but at the same time, I'm just interested. You know, our God's bigger than that. Our, our God, I'm not saying he's bigger than that, that he can put in a Republican. I don't, I don't mean that. That's just silly. I meant that we can trust him. I, we can trust him. If our country goes down the tube, and it probably will, every country has in the history of the world, why would we be any different? We, we turn away from God. God enlightened us. We turned away from him. The gospel left the Middle East. It went up into Europe. It came to America. It's going into Southern Asia. And in that train, people were blessed and rejoiced and praised him. And then they turned away from him and their in, in, in their uh, bounty that their Christianity brought. And why are we being different? We're not. We're in that same train, and the gospel has left us, and the power of the Holy Spirit has left America, and has gone into South America and into Africa, and it's, go- it's going back when it starts. I think when the circle's complete, Christ comes. Now, that's just my opinion. So. Okay. Who is God in your life? Who is God in your life? Are you awed about God? Does he awe you? Do you think, okay, I'm, I, I, he saved me. Why would he do that? I'm awed about the goodness and greatness of God and how he's working out his plan. All right, I've got to stop. Pray with me and we'll go. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Mark's gospel. We, we thank you for these parables. Lord, let us, let, let us hear and understand. Let us understand the mystery of the kingdom. Lord, that you are working out your plan, and we can't see it all, but it's like a seed that's germinated, and it's going to be, Lord, it it has spread throughout the world, and people are saved from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. They dwell under the branches of your kingdom, as we do. And and Lord, you, you brought great benefit to the world because of Christianity. And let us see that and rejoice And let us feel it in our soul. And we'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Lord bless you. We will see you in church.